Hello everyone and welcome back to Writers in the World. Here's some exciting news before we get to the interview. SIUE's very own Professor Valerie Vogren will be reading from her new book, winner of the 2018 Spokane Prize for Short Fiction, Things We'll Need for the Coming Difficulties. The event will take place on Thursday, February 27th at 4.30 p.m. in the Cougar Bookstore here at SIUE. Copies of the collection will be available for purchase, and the reading is free. We hope to see you there. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Writers in the World. My guest today is the author of the story collection, Tell Everyone I Said Hi, and the chapbook, Phantoms, Chad Simpson. Professor Simpson's fiction has been published in McSweeney's, Hobart, Esquire, and elsewhere. He teaches at Knox College in Galesburg, Illinois. Chad, thank you so much for joining me today. It's good to hang out. Yeah. Now, I have a few topics I want to get to, but I think a good place to start might be asking you about form, uh, specifically length. So I know you wrote a story, Dearest Miliana, um, that was published by WhiskeyPaper.com a few years ago. Uh, It is made up of only 78 words, yet it is a complete story. And the relationship between this this unnamed narrator and Miliana has this depth to it that you accomplished in, in just a few lines, 78 words. And that is just fascinating to me. So can you speak a little bit about short forms of fiction or, I mean, you can speak about this story in particular, if, if that's a way into this question, um, is writing short, a conscious deliberate choice for you, or is length something you have in mind before you even start to draft a story? And I know I'm firing a lot of questions here in one, but you can latch onto any part of it. And then last, do you feel that shorter forms of fiction like Hint or Micro um, or Flash, do they present the writer with a different set of challenges and potential rewards? That is a lot of questions. (laughs) Yes. Uh, I'll say one thing really quickly about Dearest Miliano's story that I I didn't realize was just 78 words long, but that's good to know. Uh, (laughs) I... Back when I was an undergrad, my wife Jane had these uh, CDs. I think it was 100 years of recorded poetry. And there was like Walt Whitman on there and uh, all kinds of different poets over the years. And we used to listen to that on some road trips uh, back in the day. And I think one of my favorites at the time uh, was Charles Simich, the poet. Hmm. And he read these, like, I think there were three poems on there by him. And one of them begins like, I was stolen by the gypsies. Uh, and there was something about uh, his like accent that I just kind of loved and I thought sounded so cool in, in, in the poems, like being able to listen to him. And, uh, and I have a colleague named Nick Reggiacourt, you might know Nick, mm-hmm. who yeah. is also a poet. And he, when he reads, he doesn't quite have an accent, but he has this kind of, I don't, he becomes very severe. And I really like the way he sounds when he reads poems and, that that particular little story that Dearest Meliana kind of came to me as a voice that sounded like a cross between uh, Charles Simich and, and Nick Regiacord in my head. And then oh, wow. <laughs> it was very much just kind of, I think, a voice speaking to me when I got the 78 words down. But I think in general about forms like Flash and Micro and Hint and all that kind of thing, I think I would start by backing up a little and saying like in my earliest attempts at trying to make things out of words. Uh, I wrote a lot of poems, like Mm -hmm. hundreds of poems. (laughs) Uh, I wanted to write fiction, uh, but I 
in order to do that, I think I felt I needed to improve my facility with language and image. Uh, and so I wrote these little poems, tr really trying to just get become a better sentence writer and a better observer uh, of the world. And when I ended up going to grad school after that, I mostly wrote long stories because I think that's what, especially at the time, most programs seemed to be having students do and ours was, uh, we, I think we had one novel workshop, but for the most part, we wrote stories in, in our graduate level workshops. And so I wrote longer stories then. And then once I was out, uh, I was started out by adjuncting at a couple different schools. So I was working really hard and really dedicating myself to teaching or trying to do a good job teaching anyway. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and, and which meant I didn't have a lot of time to write. And then eventually, or what that meant for me was that I would have these stories that I was kind of thinking about a lot, but I wouldn't spend much time sitting down and getting the ideas out. And so kind of what happened was when I finally would sit down, I could tell the whole story in not very many words because I'd wow. already thought the whole thing through and I could kind of compress it or condense it. Uh, plus at that time in like the mid 2000s and late 2000s, uh, what was I gonna say there? <laughs> mm. Oh, there was a really burgeoning online uh, fiction presence, you know, a lot of magazines online that I really like to read and that were devoted to flashes and short shorts like Hobart back in the day or Juked, or there was one called Ellie May and that had a lot of kind of experimental <clears throat> stories that I liked reading. And so at the time I was reading a lot of that and I was also not writing. And then when I sat down, I would have these little kind of flashes come out in a way. Um, and I think one of the challenges really, which I maybe was kind of addressing implicitly there of writing in that form is is that I think Charles Baxter said something like um, that such stories need to be really large in the writer's head and I think that's where like when I was driving around to my different teaching jobs those stories would keep getting large in my head even if I hadn't been writing them down a lot and that's part of what helped me compress them uh, and I think for students I start them a lot in beginning classes and often in workshops by having them write flashes uh, and kind of I have a pedagogical like where I, I think it, those forms force a writer to be pretty deliberate with their words on the page, of course, in the same way a short story does. Mm -hmm. And so I want them to do that. But I also realize one of the pitfalls is, especially in early drafts, like it's hard to have the story be large in our heads as as writers. I think we're often fumbling our way through those early sentences and drafts, figuring out what's going on there. And and, and I do think if I'm getting it right, I think it's Baxter who said that, that I think he's right. We have to we have to know what's going on there so that we can so that we can get those things down. Or I think it was Hemingway who said <clears throat> that you can only leave out of stories that the stuff that, you know. Right. And so you right. have to figure out what you're what you're not putting down, mm -hmm. um, if that makes sense. I think oh, it's definitely. hard for me to think about the rewards, uh, I think. Personally, I really enjoyed back in the day, the community that kind of sprung up around those online writing magazines and a lot of people who were working in the form. Uh, but, and I, uh, but what was I going to say there? But it's, uh, I don't know. Well, there's just, it's grown so much now, you know, I feel like maybe at, at first when those online forms and just publications and just more that was just a tighter niche you know it was just a tighter community still it wasn't and now there's seemingly just an infinite amount of uh online magazines and just different places and so maybe it just seems a little more nebulous um yeah, yeah that's sure. point. 
I think so. I know I had a student once, and this could take us off topic, but I'll just throw it out there, and who said, we'd been studying flash fiction for a whole term <clears throat> in an upper level workshop, and um, this student really didn't like the form very much. And she said to her, they were all just like sad stories about sad people doing sad things. <laughs> 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 which felt really reductive in a lot of ways, but I also, I, tr I, I kind of honored that idea by giving it a lot of time in my head. And, and I started thinking, thinking about it. And I think the what I came to, the conclusion I came to, I was thinking about kind of, I don't know, they announced Oscar nominations this morning, right? Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about like a certain type of like Oscar film and how they often feel the same in a lot of ways, if that makes sense. They yeah. maybe like tonally, a lot of the time, there's a kind of like seriousness there or a kind of look to the film. And I was thinking about that versus say like a superhero movie or versus a movie like Road Trip or <laughs> yeah, or The Hangover or something, right? Uh, and like how, and I was like, oh, I wonder if Flash as a form does have or carry within it certain limiting things outside of just like the word count in certain ways and i never came to any real conclusions but but i liked thinking about it and it also made me wonder about like oh what am i how am i not challenging by myself by sticking to this form sometimes yeah. although i do still really like reading them in the same way that i like reading poetry and i really like as a writer how if i do it well sometimes i might be capable of moving someone in a really short amount of time and in a few amount of words on the page and uh, and I, I really like that since that's a lot of times what I'm trying to do is kind of um, create some kind of feeling or in, in the reader. And I think Flash, when done well, can really do that. Yeah, no, that's that's all really, really interesting. number of things you said, I'm like scribbling some notes over here on my end. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like where we are maybe in time or history, and I'm, I'm, I don't mean this to say that all readers out there have a shorter attention span now or something like that. But I do think there's something to be said for um, the proliferation almost of these shorter forms and how maybe they sort of have a more streamlined sort of application in the world out there. Are they just, they're, they're meeting an audience maybe or a fulfill uh, I, I guess that's what all literature sort of does, but um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just, I feel like, maybe now more than in other points in history, a shorter form makes a little more sense. I'm not sure if you agree with that, but. Yeah, I definitely think there's some truth, truth to that. And in that way that like all art is bound to the time in which it's made in a lot of ways. And I think, sure. I mean, how many, I think it's become unconscious to me in certain ways, like how many tweets I read over the course of a day or how many memes I look at or how many, <laughs> like we are getting really short condensed kind of expressions in lots of different ways and it would make sense that our that our fiction might reflect that in a lot of ways yeah and it is i mean a few of the other things you said here kind of brought me back to the the conversation i had with steve davenport i got to interview him last week and um you know he's he he writes a lot of poetry and, and to him there's some overlap here in your responses and it, it kind of speaks to getting back to the sentence like the sentence being the thing and um I don't know. I mean, when I'm hearing you talk about how you first started writing poems and then moved to fiction and longer forms of it, there's just a, yeah, there's just a, a curious overlap there. And I feel like poetry and sort of experimenting across forms, um, I mean, it, it forces you to pay attention to different craft elements, maybe, 
And uh, so, yeah, I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm not, it's interesting, but um, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm not entirely surprised that you started off writing poems now that I'm sort of thinking back on your other stories and work that I've read from you. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I guess I appreciate that you can see that. And that, <laughs> and I think that that's definitely where I'm coming from. I think too, it's like a, a pedagogical tool that goes along with some of what you're saying, like say, I'm, I'm teaching this term two sections of fiction workshop where we're that are both devoted to the novella in flash. Um, so we're using that rose metal press cool. field guide where they talk that's dedicated to the novella in flash. And I think to me, whether I'm teaching that form in beginning fiction or in a workshop, one of the things I'm really trying to do as an instructor is like defamiliarize uh, fiction for students in a lot of ways, especially like when they're in their late teens or early 20s and they've spent most of their younger years reading like 900 page books. <laughs> yeah, I, I think they, they come into this much less attentive to the sentence that you're, as you were talking about there, and I know Steve's work and Steve and that he, he's all about that sentence. And, and so with Flash, I don't think there's a lot of like getting lost in the story, but rather like there's a kind of awareness of, um, of language and sound and image in a way that there's maybe less so when, when we're reading 200 or 300 pages at a, at a sitting rather than 200 or 300 words. Oh, I totally agree. And I'm, I'm myself as a still developing writer, um, make that mistake where it's, if I do have a longer idea for a story in mind or a longer plot, um, I write sloppier, you know, I'm like trying to hurry up and get to that next <laughs> plot point or get to the end and I'll go, I'll fix that later. Or I'll, you know, I'll get the language right as I draft. And, and, you know, that's dangerous. I think, um, yeah, could leave yourself with a little bit more work than, than you intended to, or I don't know. just, I, I hear you. I don't, I don't think you can, a writer can probably ever hear so, sort of that type of advice enough, at least in my opinion. But <laughs> But let me, uh, yeah, let me shift focus a little bit just because we are talking about um, your work and your stories and your uh, collection. Tell everyone I said hi. I have it in front of me right here. Um, contains a number of wonderful stories. But again, length is something I'm interested in just from a writer, writer's point of view. Um, and in that collection, you have pieces that span a page or two, like House Calls or LedX and others such as fostering our American bulldog or, or 10 or more. So can you take me back to piecing that collection together? Um, even I'm even thinking of coming up with the order in which you place the stories. Were you thinking about questions of length? Did, um, did some of the shorter, were some of the shorter pieces in that collection? Did they come to you first or I don't know, was length even something you were, I guess, spending a lot of time thinking about as you sort of piece this book together. Yeah, I, I definitely put a lot of time into thinking about what to include and not to include in, in the collection. I think by the time it got published in 2012, I had published around, I think, 50 or 60 stories, maybe. Uh, wow. And so there were things that I could have kept in or taken out. And uh, I think I would back up a little before that, um, in that around 2008 and 2009, I had an agent, a different agent than I have now. Um, and she was trying to sell this collection. She was pretty excited about it. 
but that was also 2008. I don't know if you remember, but that's like kind of when the recession started. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, and so publishing too was a little bit of a wonky world at the time. I remember getting back some really quick responses from, uh, from editors that she'd sent the collection to that basically said like, I'm leaving the industry or, <laughs> oh, wow. or yeah. So it was, it was a little, it was a little strange, but, um, I'll say about that collection when I was getting it ready to, um, for her to send out, I, I was into, I had been writing a lot of flash and a lot of short shorts at the time, but I took, I think all of them out. I think I might've had one, wow. uh, that story, Let X, that's in the collection. I think I might've left that one in there somewhere. But I was thinking back to a lot of the short story collections I had read um, that are more contemporary, like in the early 2000s and the late 90s and how it was pretty rare to see very, two shortest stories in there. Um, like they would usually be 10 stories, 200 pages, somewhere around that, or 12 stories. Mm -hmm. And so it was mostly a, a book of long stories and nobody, it came close at a couple places and I got my hopes up a little bit, but nothing ever worked out. And so once she stopped sending that out and she, uh, she kind of left the industry too around that same time. So I didn't have an agent for a little while. And when I started putting the collection together again in like 2011, I was much more deliberate about things like you were asking, like about length. And of course I'm looking, was looking at theme and I was looking to it just like story structures uh, and whether the stories are like, say, a single movement, like one scene that takes place that we kind of move through and around or whatever over the course of the story or how much time the story spans. If it's a longer story, uh, if it, sorry, if it covers more time, right. rather. And so I took all of those into considerations and into consideration and tried to create a kind of like rhythm throughout. So a lot of the times we might have a little shorter interlude and then a longer story and uh, but I think for me, as much of, as the length of the stories, I took into consideration how the stories themselves were structured, if that makes sense. Oh, uh, absolutely. And so, and then I made it the way I wanted it to be. And so it included a lot of stuff that I was happy to see it there. And it got rid of some stories that I was fine seeing go. Uh, and then I started sending that out to contests on my own and, um, was a finalist, I think, for two contests in 2011, and then in 2012, I won one. So, yeah. uh, got lucky, and and it all worked out for me. No, no, I'm. I, that's interesting. I mean, you know, it's like I'm sure you were excited in 2008, and you know, throughout that process. But um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I guess silver lining again, right? Uh, maybe the silver lining there was yeah, getting a few, a little more time to to make some other changes, make some other choices. And yeah, no, I, I, I love the collection. Um, you do the, I feel like this is probably common in shorter forms or just in flash, but one of the trends that I picked up on, at least in a few stories is, is near the end, towards the end, maybe in the last page or last final paragraphs, I felt like a lot of your narrators would suddenly zoom uh, either out or, or maybe that's even the wrong language, but they would sort of shift time. Uh, towards the end and all of a sudden they bring in this other memory that was sort of surfacing in the middle of this present of the telling of that particular story and I don't have a good example in mind but um, that was just something I picked up on and I, I did like 
how you were able you, you were sort of like a map how time was moving in these in these pieces and and the way you sort of would slip in you know this other this other memory or thought that the narrator is having from a completely different uh, experience or moment in their life but it was it was colliding if you will with um the present of the telling of, of that particular story yeah i think and i don't know when i talk or when i think about something like that i'm inclined to use the word like trick like it's a trick I, <laughs> which maybe it kind of is but I, I think for me especially with like say the shorter form sometimes I think messing with how how you how you use time as a fiction writer can be really effective in a lot of ways and that when the stories are so short they need to have a certain kind of like uh, my my colleague Robin Metz used to say gravitas a lot. Like it needed to have a kind of like weight to it. And one th way to get that is to move outside of that, say the the main scene or whatever that might be explored in a story, and to and to pull in some other moment of time, or to show that time has passed and that these events have had their own kind of impact or something like that. And so, in, on the one hand, it feels like a trick. It's like a way to manipulate language. But on the other two, it's another. I don't know. I think it can speak to the ways in which all of our present moments are kind of loaded in a lot of ways if we let them be, right? That, yeah. Um, that, that we always have history weighing on them and we have whatever might come in the future weighing on them in a lot of ways. And I think fiction, uh, you know, I, I think it's time is a really important element in fiction writing, I think, <laughs> in the same way it is with like film, watching sure. a film something right and with what you can do with fiction i think anyway i know i grew up or when i was in grad school i was gonna say i grew up yeah. <laughs> when i was in grad school though i had one professor who was very much all about like no flashbacks american fiction is linear and do it this way and uh you get like one flashback per whatever or however many pages or something like that, which I think can be a useful tool to, you know, force students to think about when they might be relying on something like a flashback. But I also think that, um, that fiction is such a great way to show just how weighted those moments that we walk around in can be, because uh, all it takes is a couple of words to move us around in time, right? Whereas I think with a film, if we're in a dramatic moment and all of a sudden we're gonna go to a flashback, then we're gonna have a new camera angle and new characters on the stage usually, and we're gonna be yeah. in a new place. And I think it's jolting in a way that when we're just working with language, it, it, to me, it's not as jolting or something, right? It feels much more natural because it's like the way thoughts work. Yeah. Yeah, and you get and you have you know those words on uh, on the paragraph above it, and that or you can flip back, and that, that's what I love about reading too is is just sort of that the the page turning and and the turning back a page and and just sort of um, yeah understanding a, a shift like that, and uh, yeah, I mean I I I totally get you know why a teacher would make that would make a statement like that or try to give that type of um, guideline. But I do feel like, I don't know, I just, I feel like this, the idea of rules and even, I don't know, genre distinction, I don't know if that's sort of becoming less and less important um, as time's going on. I know that wasn't part of the original question, but I don't know, I just, for me, like, I, I feel confident in saying that I'm sure there are writers out there that just, even if they tried really, really hard to write linearly, they might not be able to, you know? So I don't know, I just feel like... Uh, yeah, as far as time goes, 
that's something that can be really unique to to each rider themselves, you know. And so, yeah, that's something that is just one of the phenomenons that's part of fiction, I guess, is how time can be manipulated in that form. A lot different than, as you said, you know, film or or other types of writing. Yeah, no, it'd be it would be an interesting experiment to take. Like, I mean, you could go really heavy handed and mess with Proust or something. Like, what does Proust look like linear or what? <laughs> Uh, or even like a Faulkner sometimes, right? Like, uh, and, and, and I think too, I think those as a pedagogical or pedagogical tool, it, it works really well to, to just to force students to be deliberate sometimes with what they're doing or to make them not even to force them to be deliberate, but rather to make them aware of what they're doing sometimes. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and that way, I think with, with what you were saying there too, about rules and things like make them aware so that they can figure that out and then figure out a really fun way to, to smash the rule in order to say what they want to say. Exactly. Yeah. Right. There, there needs to be, yeah, there needs to be some sort of structure, I guess. Right. If not, then yeah, you're kind of, you're kind of left to maybe make sense out of something that, you know, sense can't be made out of so yeah I, I get that um so uh shifting a little bit of the focus of the question here i want to talk a little bit about your journey as a writer um so with the, a lot of the story there's definitely thematic connections for the stories that are in the collection of course but um that was published as you said in 2012 so i'm wondering if you are still writing about, um, I guess, the same, the same themes or the same places. I mean, a lot of the stories are centered around, you know, familial drama or familial struggles or, or problems arising between um, a couple and their, and their child or uh, maybe um, a neighborhood strife between, you know, two kids living in the same uh, small town so I guess I'm wondering, are you, do you feel that you are sort of writing um, about the same places or about, I don't want to say the same characters because they're vastly different in the book, but uh, I'm sure they have some uh, commonalities. Do you feel that you are still sort of writing about the same subject matter? Yeah, I think so in a lot of ways. I, I, I think there's like a cliche about whether we choose our subjects or they choose us or something. <laughs> and. Yeah. I feel like in a way I, I might not have a lot of control over that, but I'm, I've been working on a novel lately and it certainly is set in the small town Midwest. A lot of uh, people who don't have a lot of money, very like working class, struggling people. And, and it also, I didn't realize it's funny you mentioned family when you were asking that question. Uh, and I think I knew a lot of the short stories were about had, had family at the heart of them in some ways, a lot of like, kids and the stuff that um subject matter wise but i've been working on this novel and I'm, i think of it a little bit as a crime novel and i'm getting close to finishing it but i just realized i don't know in the last six months or so that it's very much a family book like it's about family <laughs> i just yeah. didn't realize it was about you know people get murdered and people are trying to figure stuff out and there's a lot of seedy stuff going on but it really it's about it's about family and grief and loss in a lot of ways and uh, and it kind of surprised me when I when I figured that out yeah. uh, but I think one of the biggest challenges for me with the newer stuff I think when I first started out uh, 
taking writing and reading seriously. It wasn't until I was in college and I really did fall in love with short stories. Um, and I thought for a long time, like that I could just write short stories and not worry about anything else. Uh, like I didn't love novels the way that I loved short stories necessarily. Um, but over time, I think too, I've started to realize I like a challenge, of course, like I need, to, <laughs> I, like it, it would get really boring for me to write a flash fiction every day for, for 10 years or something like that. I think, I think I would run out of something. And so with this new novel, one, a couple of the, I, I think the subject matter is similar in a lot of ways, although I'm trying to create maybe different kinds of tension with the, with the crime novel angle than I've had in any real short stories that I've written. Um, but I, the challenge has been, I, I think, I don't think I let myself use a space break through the first like nine chapters. So oh, wow. I've like, you know, 24 page chapters with no space breaks that are all just like, uh, moving around inside these different characters heads and moving them through time and place. And so, uh, which has been really fun. But then I think this 10th chapter that I've been working on, I decided I was going to need them for this character just because of the way his brain works. So, uh, because I, the novel involves, I don't know, what is it? Six different characters, points of view, um, oh, cool. three main characters who's point, who get three different chapters on their own and then three kind of ancillary characters who each get a chapter. So, um, so I've kind of given my same subject matter, very different form, I think in a lot of ways. Yeah. That's really interesting. I mean, I, I have now questions about, yeah, the, the novel you're working on and, and just novel writing and, um, how that process differs for you. And, and I know that kind of relates to, you know, you don't, I, I like that quote because I believe it too about, you know, you don't choose your subjects, they choose you. Cause I totally, whenever I'm doing it, doing the writing, it's, I'm, I feel like I'm sort of giving myself over to the story and yeah, the voices I'm trying to follow and the characters and I'm very much in tune to, you know, intuition, I guess. Right. Like, does this feel right? And I feel like I can, I'm a decent judge of that right now. Um, so yeah, no, I'm just, that's really interesting to me. Um, uh, novel writing. I mean, is this, how is this is, like you said, this is a pushing yourself in a, in a new way. Like does any, does anything stick out to you as, as just being a lot different than, than working in shorter forms? I think for me, one of the biggest ones, one of the biggest differences is uh, I was in, I was at the Sewanee Writers Conference in 2007, so a long time ago now. Uh, and Richard Bausch was my faculty member. And there was one day during those two weeks or so that I was there, and he brought up the word authority. And, and he mentioned how the first, I think it's six letters of authority are the words, or the, are the word author. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's interesting. And what he said, though, was he thought authority was the last thing that writers learn. Uh, huh. And <clears throat> I kind of made a mental note of it at the time, in part because I think as I was trying to figure out how to write, and I was mostly writing short stories, I think I, I always tried not to have authority as a writer, <laughs> which mm -hmm. might sound strange, like, because I had um, I suppose kinds of like goals I said earlier, like I wanted to be able to move people, right? right? Which might think that I might be okay with authority. But at the same time, I think what I did instead was hide behind the voices of characters or, and just try to like limit myself to what they could see or think or feel. 
um, or I limited, kind of limited myself by way of um, the images that I was going to explore or something like that. But I, I would try to find a way not to have authority for a long hmm. time. And I think uh, after I published the book of stories, I did decide kind of consciously like, oh, I want to write more of like a book length thing. And I had written one young adult novel before I published that story that I th threw in a drawer. Um, and so I actually started writing at the time a novel with my wife, Jane. Um, and so we wrote that and it too had a form that kind of hides the authority. It was like letters. So it was an epistolary thing. Uh -huh. um, and we finished that draft and kind of threw it in a drawer. And then I wrote a memoir that also played around with form. And I wasn't really, it didn't have the authority that I think it needed. And so to bring this back, um, after I finished that memoir, I started working on some short stories. And one's actually going to come out in Southwestern, I think, in the next issue. Fantastic. Uh, and there were these stories that were called like notes toward a story about such and such. Um, and so what was, I suppose on the one hand, it was kind of like cheating because the stories pretend to just be notes for a story. But on the other hand, for me, they, I actually found that writing them, I had a different kind of authority than I'd ever had before. Like one of them um, that's called notes toward a story called Streetlight Superman begins like, a crumbling, Illinois, a crumbling Illinois town in the early aughts. <laughs> it almost, <laughs> to me, sounds like a comic book or something. Like, and I'm like, oh yeah, because comic books are actually written with a lot of authority sometimes, right? And, <laughs> uh, and so I, I started writing, I, I wrote two of those and then another sort of story that was kind of similar um, that also involved me as a writer having a certain kind of authority that I tended to hide from. And after I did those, that's around when I started working on the novel. And I realized that maybe I was okay now with just having somebody tell, or with just kind of figuring out a way to tell this story myself and to have the authority to to move characters around and to go inside this person's head. And, and it, it, I don't know if all of that makes sense. Uh, no, it definitely does. It definitely does. And, and yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll probably have a follow-up or two just at the end of the, at the interview, maybe about your, your novel in progress, but I appreciate all the, all the anecdotes. I feel like I remember when you were working on the project with Jane, I actually might've been an undergrad at, at Knox when that was going on. Maybe I, I feel yeah. like, I'm, yeah, I feel like, <laughs> I feel like I remember talking about it and um, yeah, I mean, I, one of the things I wanted to, I, I feel like the, that, hearing you talk about how at first you tried to like minimalize or, or minimize your, your authority. I feel like maybe that had sort of lended itself to developing these extremely like vulnerable in a good way characters in the collection. I think, I don't know, maybe that's, maybe that's off, but I, I feel like that makes sense. I just kind of felt like I had a, a an aha moment maybe. And I'm like, how does he get these? voices just like this on the page and these characters just seem so vulnerable and forthright and uh yeah maybe that's because you were working so so darn hard to to get get your own your own voice out of the way um so that's really interesting to me yeah i like that idea i i, I don't i couldn't say that it's true but if it is i i definitely i definitely like that and i, I definitely believe in i think as a teacher i try to stress this with students in part because i think 
being vulnerable at 19 or 20 is like one of the hardest things yeah. <laughs> to allow you like there we're, we're already so vulnerable at that age like to to ask someone to kind of openly be vulnerable themselves is, is challenging but i think that if if someone's wants to make art i think like humility and vulnerability can really go <laughs> a, a long way yeah that's be proves i think my god <laughs> gatsby i'm glad he's i'm glad he was able to join um <laughs> Well, that's actually a really good segue into um, a, one of my one of my final questions. I promise. I know you're you're probably busy today, but I I did want to talk a little bit about just teaching, um, and it's it's been brought up a few times, uh, and I just mentioned it now. I'm not sure if our listeners knew before, but I did attend Knox College, and I was fortunate enough to take workshop with you. And um, I'm always interested to just hear from teachers of writing specifically. Uh, and how they feel that um, their profession has or hasn't played a part in their own work or process. Um, so do you think it, do you think teaching has had an effect on how you go about your own body of work? Yeah. I mean, I think it's inescapable if I were, you know, working in a salt mine uh, right. <laughs> every day, I think that would certainly shape how I, uh, how I sure. go about think about fiction writing too i think it's different of course because one it's it's uh it's just there's such difficult jobs to get right now the market's so weird and so it's like i feel like it's a very privileged position to be able to like teach i don't get super dirty while i do right (laughs) right. there are but but it certainly has its own impact i think for me uh it's done it in a lot of like maybe maybe not so strange ways like i was a first generation college student from a very like working class midwestern uh, it's like small town midwestern family and so growing up i didn't have like a ton of people around me who like valued literature or art in general uh and even after college i did a year of americorps and i worked for a few years as a juvenile probation officer and, you know, being out in the real world and, I, and at the time I very much was all about writing. I would get up at four o'clock in the morning or five o'clock in the morning and write a little bit and read poems. And that's what I was doing a lot of the time when I wasn't working, but I didn't have a lot of people around me who valued those things mm-hmm. uh, for the most part. And so eventually when I lucked out and got into grad school and then I lucked out and uh, ended up with this full-time teaching job at Knox where I think one of the, you know, greatest things about about being able to teach is that I have students who are really into reading and writing and I have colleagues who are really into reading and writing and we have a visiting writers series so I get to hang out with cool writers every now and then and hear them read and talk to them about all this stuff and it's just like these opportunities that you know when I was 19 I didn't really think uh were the kinds of things that would be a part of my life at this point or something like that. Um and so just like I think the way I move around in the world and and uh, and think about art and and everything that's going on, like that's very much influenced by the job that I have. I think too, um, I didn't like I, I think I said a little bit earlier. I didn't really become interested in writing until I was eighteen or nineteen. And so working with students, I get to see them like be excited by words the same way I was back then, mm. which. It's kind of its own invaluable experience. And I think two students a lot of times are a little bit gutsier yeah. than, than, than writers who are maybe yeah. more established because they don't know 
always what all the rules are or they're trying to break and and i really like that gutsiness in a way or the way they'll they might dream up some new story structure or some way of uh some form that they could could mess around with and um and i think it, that can be really eye-opening for me as well yeah yeah no i mean when you put it that way yeah like if certainly are, are the day-to-day or just yeah that the swapping of ideas and, and talking with your colleagues like of course how could that not have some have some sort of effect on you know your own process or or your sub or whatever you know, that have, i'm sure it has some type of impact so yeah, yeah i think too, like i'm pretty when i'm writing i try to rely a lot on intuition and to be really intuitive like uh to kind of feel my way through things. And I think I do that in the same way when I'm teaching and replying to students' stories. Like, mm. and I tell students that like, oh, my gut tells me this at this point in your story or something like that, right? Mm. Um, but I think, and so I rely on that, but at the same time too, especially in my early years, uh, like I'd been to grad school and I defended a thesis and then I'd been thrust into these like classrooms where I was given again, like authority, this thing I'm always trying to avoid. <laughs> <laughs> have to be like the teacher, right? And so I think especially for the first like four or five years of teaching uh, at Knox, I was, I was trying to figure out why I thought the way I did about fiction and, mm. and why things work the way they do. And that too was its own invaluable experience for me to to force like to be forced to grapple with some of these questions rather than just rely on my intuition over and over again but to come up with some kinds of like concrete reasons for why I feel the way I do about fiction that does this or fiction that does that uh, and how it how it all works and so that certainly helped me progress and I think too another like pragmatic thing I tell students sometimes that when I read their stories I don't do this so much anymore but I still tell it this way that when I'm reading their stories before class I like lay down on my bed and I put my pillow here and my cat jumps mm -hmm. up on my back and <laughs> I have a book that I write on and I always mark stuff up with a pencil and and I'll spend you know however many hours with their story like doing that and then when I finally have a draft of a chapter or a story that I've been working on I lay down on the bed and mm. I put my pillow here and my cat jumps on my back and I have my pencil and something to write on and like so I kind of do it the same way because and you know what I say to them is like the goal is to be able to read our own work as objectively as we read the work that other people write and that's really just what I'm trying to do and I think reading, I don't know, every now and then I add up how many pages of student fiction I've read in the last, uh, this is my 15th year at Knox. So um, congratulations, thanks yeah. for 14 slash 15 years. And it's just like thousands and thousands and thousands. And uh, it definitely sometimes that part of it can feel a little bit like a job because it is, mm -hmm. uh, right. but it also I, has, has certainly made me a much better, uh, a much better like, sentence writer and it's improved the way um i arrange things on the page and and how i think about story and all that by yeah. just having to sit down with other people's stories and try to figure them out over and over again yeah and keeping that yeah like you said keeping that objective eye so, sort of sharp and yeah i don't know i think i i like that i like that idea of the same routine as and it seems sort of to make perfect sense but yeah like the same way you go about providing feedback for your students that's how you're gonna go about giving yourself feedback and I don't know I think that probably creates some nice tendencies maybe with 
how you maybe even treat yourself, you know, as you're revising your work. Yeah, that's that's not bad, too, because, uh, yeah, I mean, I would never want to treat my students the way I sometimes treat myself, right? Like, hey. <laughs> and so I, I should learn from that. <laughs> Hopefully. Um, no, that's all really good. So before I let you go, I, I know you mentioned the novel that you are working on. So I'd love to hear more about that. I don't know if you have any sort of working title going on yet or if, or any sort of target date for, for a for first draft or anything at all that you'd like your readers or our listeners to know about that project or really anything else that you have going on. Um, I'd be really interested to hear about. All right. Well, the novel, as I said earlier, it's kind of a crime novel. Uh, I told one colleague who um, he's retired now from classics. Uh, he was a longtime classics professor who loves detective novels. And I was like, oh, I'm writing this kind of crime novel, Steve. And I was like, but I'm and he he had read my short story collection and was very said really nice things about it. Uh, so I sometimes will talk to him about the writing. Like normally I don't, wouldn't do that, but uh, I told him I was working on this and, uh, and I said, Oh, but I'm writing it. So it's mostly sad. And he, and he stopped me before I even finished that thought and was like, all detective novels are sad stories, Chad. Don't you know? That? <laughs> I was like, I don't think I did know that, but, but yeah, kind of a crime story, kind of a family thing uh, that starts with this horrible tragic thing that has happened and then it just kind of unspools over really about 24 hours and uh the lives of these like six people who are kind of floating through it um and i'll say one thing that i don't think i've said today with you uh i'm taking my time with this one more than i have in the past i've been working on it for about two and a half years usually when i write book length things I try to get them over with faster in case they're terrible so that I can just put it aside <laughs> it's almost <laughs> like I pretend it's a short story uh, and just try to get the draft done really fast this one I'm letting I've been letting it stew so um I'm on chapter 10 of 12 right now so I'm down wow. to the whole stretch and I've written parts of 11 and 12 already too I haven't written it all in order so I'm thinking this draft uh, will be close to one i have one friend who's been reading along with it uh, as i go and uh, so this will be one i put into other readers hands pretty soon i think um and it's it's been i think the hardest part for me working so slowly on the thing is that that means there's more time to like doubt yourself and <laughs> uh, and so i had a couple periods where i, I like i think i let it sit still for three months or so or four months just because I would read like one little part that I thought was garbage and I, I was like I can't go forward until I fix this garbage or something mm. <laughs> those like bad uh bad thought processes but for the most part I've tried to be patient with it and let it develop and and I've definitely spent more time on this than any other thing that I've written before wow. so I'm hoping it works out all right uh well that's exciting yeah, it is exciting. And I think part of my brain's ready to wrap it up at this point, too, because I keep getting more and more ideas for, like, the next book. <laughs> and so uh, I'm, like, I'm not going to let myself do that. I know some writers are very capable of switching between projects or working on multiple projects at the same time, but I'm not I'm not trusting myself at this point to do that. So, um, Well, yeah, and you have, the, you have many narrators, right? You have six different uh, characters that are different characters. 
<laughs> yeah, so that's a thing. It's a, I think that's, I, I've joked lately a few times that I'm getting to that point. I think I've probably written at this point around, I don't know, 100 than we'll say 175,000 words or so. Wow. And then the draft itself is about, um, I don't know, 60 or, se- 60 or so right now with okay. the 10 chapters. And so about a third of what I've written, but I'm like, I'm still holding all of those words and pages in my head. And, and that's a lot to carry yeah. around. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'm, I want to put it down and be done with that. Uh, or I think I'm ready to. Uh, well, I feel like that's a good, yeah, you, if you're feeling that, you know, that must, I'm sure that's a sign. I'm sure that means, sure that means you're there. So yeah, I'm really excited about that. Well, thank you. I, I, I hope, it, I hope it's good. I think I've, I have really liked writing it and there are parts of it that for sure feel like some of the best stuff that I've written. My buddy who's been reading it, uh, Eugene Krauss, who's a writer, he, he said, I think with the last chapter, he, he just said that it was some of the best writing in the book so far, which I really oh, appreciate great. in part because I thought that some of that writing was just the best that I'd done ever. So, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful, but I'm also, I, sp- I suppose, cautiously optimistic that, <laughs> that it's just my brain that's really been interacting with it for the most part. So, so who knows? Yeah. Well, you've certainly put in the time, you know, like you said, the two and a, two and a half years is, is time. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm cur- I have other questions. It's, it's like, I wonder about the, I wonder about time in, in the book and how that operates and how it maybe is passed along uh, to the other narrator or not. If it's sort of, there's a, there's a, and I don't want to spoil anything either, but I'm um, yeah, I am curious about how time is moving and uh, if the characters are sort of jumping in and moving the plot along linearly, or if they're sort of in retrospection, looking at different events in the past. Yeah. It's, it's told in, uh, like each chapter is pretty much like a limited close third person point of view and told in present tense. So kind of like where they're at in that moment. Um, it does do a lot of, I think, I think of it as kind of like circling a little bit. That's one of the bigger risks that it takes. I know my old grad school professor who stressed uh, linear writing would not appreciate aspects of that, but, <laughs> but I, what I'm hoping and I don't know, I've always been a fan, a couple of early ones that I, novels that I read, Charles Baxter's Feast of Love. I'm reading that right now. Are you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm reading that. That's a bizarre coincidence. Uh, <laughs> those are first person narrators though, right? In the different chapters? Yes. Okay. Uh, and so, but that was a book. And I think that I, while I was reading it, and there was another book around that time I read called uh, Plain Song by Kent Harris. Um, where that had multiple characters points of view and I realized that for me one of the biggest pleasures of reading those books was waiting for certain characters to come back and to see what's happening with them yeah (laughs) and so I think structurally with this I think I realized that there's a little bit of like circling that goes on or moving around in time to get to know who the characters are but that I'm hoping a reader is excited enough to get to the next chapter like to see what's happening with the character that we left behind before to want to keep going but we'll see if that's true or not uh, <laughs> i well, think it can I, I don't i don't have you gotten to the point i don't know where are you at in feast of love oh i'm in like i'm on page 25 or something like oh, that okay. i've just read the first few um yeah first few chapters uh that was a recommendation from jeff schmidt though because my thesis is 
uh, my thesis project has multiple point of view characters now in it. That, that it more it has been morphing on me. So I don't know if you've experienced that at all in in your process with this novel, or if you always knew you were going to have multiple point of view characters. But um, once it's I, once I sort of shifted and realized that what I really had on my hands were you know linked stories from different narrators, he he recommended you know immediately. So. Uh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm cra- I gotta get, sink my teeth a little bit more into it, but okay. There's this. I'll just say there's this one scene, and like you hear it from one person's point of view, and then you see the same scene from a different point of view, and it is just like crushing. And <sighs> and weirdly, it was like several several years ago. He was reading at an AWP conference and he actually read that chap the chapter that i wanted him to read and i was like oh <laughs> wow yeah and so anyway yeah i love that book and um i think read like i said reading it what i learned was like oh there's a real pleasure in i think kind of waiting to hear from those characters again or to see an event reinterpreted sometimes and uh and so i'm trying to make use of that in this in this draft and hopefully Hopefully it's working. Oh, well, I'm, I'm, I for one am yeah, looking forward to whenever it's, it'll be out in the world and so I can enjoy it because I am a big fan. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for you that you're nearing the end of this, this project. Yeah, thank you, Brian. Yeah, and I, I do want to – we've been talking now for about an hour, um, and I just do want to thank you for being generous with your time and with, and with your responses and sort of, uh, taking my, my rambling questions in stride. And, um, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Well, thanks for having me, Grant. Yeah. And we'll, um, yeah, I'll check back in. I'll have to check back in real soon. All right. Yeah. Well, let me know how that thesis defense goes and how the revisions wrap up and all that. Yeah. That's what I'll probably be getting to later today. So at least, <laughs> all right. That's yeah, quite, we're we're really in sync here. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much, uh, Chad, and it, and I again, I really appreciate it. You're welcome, Greg. Talk well, soon. Talk to you later. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone. Just a few more announcements before we wrap up. My guest next week is the author of the poetry collection. I Can't Talk About the Trees Without the Blood, Tiana Clark. Professor Clark also teaches at SIUE, and I am very excited to bring her thoughts and ideas to our listeners. A word for potential applicants. We've extended our application deadline. See the show notes for a link to application guidelines. And last, don't forget about Valerie Vogan's reading on Thursday, February 27th. Until next time.